want to talk to you today about uh, on number five commitment is what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? And um, you're probably thinking now you're scaring me. <laughs> commitment feels like a big issue. And uh, I think at one, one reason it does is perhaps we've seen it increasingly so little modeled. We're afraid of what it means. Sometimes we don't know what it looks like. Sometimes we feel like we're not very good at it. I hope today that as we just look through the word, we're going to see how intrinsic commitment is to our walk with Christ and to the contribution that we make to society. Um, commitment, of course, as I said, is only a theory till you have to do it. And so what is being under attack is commitment in marriage will be tried. Commitment in salvation will be tried. Our commitment to morality will be tried in this day and age. Commitment to relationships. And there's something about, I think, relationships and millennials in terms of commitment that is an increasingly big issue. I think one reason it is like that is because it is prevalent in our society to be able to think that we can have friends with benefits relationships. Of course, I am talking about where people just want to be friends in that interdependent, casual sense, and yet have ongoing sexual intimacy which by nature means soul bonding and emotional enmeshment. And we think that we can just marry those two concepts together and not have the consequences. No, there, when we're in a relationship that there is no commitment, it becomes always a self-centered focus and ultimately is not nourishing to us. We were not created to flourish like that. God has defined what commitment looks like and in relationships that have a sexual relationship. It, and he has defined that. And long-term committed relationships means interdependent. You have to become dependent on a person to have it satisfying. It means the walls down, the warts are seen, there is vulnerability, there is knowing that someone through it all will stay. The relationship grows safe. And that grows satisfying. And uncommitted relationships allow people to stay self-centered and selfish. And that makes any relationship like that destructive. Relationships always mean two. That's two points of view, two sets of strength, two sets of weaknesses. And two will remain committed and work on real issues when they do that. They don't just get a better relationship. They themselves become better. And so with having kind of said, I think, um, that in a modern sensibility, when we talk about relationships, what I mean by that in an internet world is that a lot of times people think and they view relationships as um, you can have a lot of choice at your fingertips. They think sometimes there's a sensibility that in a relationship, if I, if I enter a uh, a casual one with uh, looking for to, to be sexually intimate yet with no commitment um, that that's a little tough because what if I find somebody better and there's people are unwilling to commit because they feel like they might find somebody better. They're afraid what if I get bored in this relationship? What if I fall out of love? I don't know how to commit some people would say. I've never seen it. 
I've never seen it in a, in a healthy marriage. I've never seen it work. Never seen it be satisfying. I've never seen success. And I think that there is a lot of truth to what people say is that I'm afraid of commitment in relationships. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of trust issues to open up and be vulnerable. And a lot of people are just afraid to receive love, not knowing how to do it or what that means. But of course, there is a biblical opening up and light in this issue. There is a way that we can look into the word of God, which is truth. And the Bible says the truth sets us free. And a lot of things that bind up our current thinking on relationships, our current thinking on commitment, the word of God speaks life, speaks light into this topic and I'm just, I'm just so glad to be able to do that with you this afternoon. I just want to quickly tell you a true story, a biblical story of a young man with a commitment issue. I just want to tell you, I just want to outline his story to you. But I'm going to ask you if you would turn, please, if you have your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. We're going to end there. But I want to talk to you about a story, a young man in the Old Testament who had a, a commitment issue. The story that um, I want to talk to you about is a young man named Mephibosheth. And his story is found in 2 Samuel. And I just want to read one verse that kind of sums up his life. And I'll read it to you. 2 Samuel 4.4, it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old. When the tidings came out of Saul and Jonathan, that's his father and grandfather, out of Jezreel, and that's where the death of his father and grandfather. At that news, his nurse took him up and fled, but it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. And here we have in a, a nutshell, in that just that one verse, we have the story or a picture of a young man that was dropped. A young man that uh, father and grandfather are now removed out of his life. There's a sense in his life of fear and fleeing. There's a lot of instability around his young years. And of course, he ended up lame. And that's a picture, of course, of someone struggling through life. On top of that, he had a complicated family relationship. And I think a lot of people go, oh, yeah. Uh, Mephibosheth, his name means shame destroyer. His name means shame destroyer, but he had a complicated family life. And he, his, uh, Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan, was the very closest friend to King David. And David and Jonathan would be bonded together, and they had a, a, the deepest friendship when they were both young before King David became king. The complication was that his best friend, Jonathan, his father was Saul, who was king over Israel, an Old Testament king. And at some point in the relationship between King Saul and David, it became enmity. King Saul was threatened, completely threatened by the anointing and the call of young David's life. And he sought to kill David. And it was very complicated between 
David and Jonathan because Jonathan's father, King Saul, they, they, King Saul was trying to kill his best friend and Jonathan was proverbially stuck in the middle of that loving or wanting to be loyal to his father, yet sensing something about David that it truly, he saw something that even I think Jonathan was hungry for, this, this loyalty to the Lord, this sense of the Holy Spirit upon him and a deep call on his life. And David was inspiring to so many. And Jonathan and David truly found in each other a, a friendship and a relationship that was inspiring. And the story... Now we are going to be introduced to Mephibosheth when on the battlefield, King Saul and Jonathan, his son, were killed at the same time by the enemies. And in the vacuum of relationship, David was anointed king over Israel. And when David was king over Israel, the Bible says we're going to pick up Mephibosheth's story, but David... Um, all of a sudden it comes into his heart and he says, is there any yet? And this is in Second Samuel 9 now. He goes, is there any yet that is left of the house of Saul, even though he's my adversary? Is there any yet in this house that I may show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And there was said to him, oh yeah, there is someone in the house of Saul that you can show the kindness of God. Yes, Jonathan had a son. But he's lame. And, John, and David goes, well, bring him to me. Bring him into my presence. Bring this young man now into my presence. He goes, because I want, he's, David plainly declares, I will surely show him kindness. I will surely want to bless him. It's like, in not, and for Jonathan's sake, I'm going to remember that, but I'm sure when he put eyes on this young man, he's just so delighted to bring the son of Jonathan into his midst to show him kindness. But not only that, his commitment to Jonathan's son is he says, I will restore all the land of your grandfather Saul to you. I'm not just going to show kindness to you, but I'm going to put my commitment into action and all, I'm going to restore to you lands and fields that the grandson of a king should own. And he said, and you, Mephibosheth, shall eat bread at my table continuously. And Mephibosheth is overwhelmed and he, he bows and he does reverence to this great king. And at the same time, Mephibosheth has a servant. His name is Ziba. And he is amazed also. And David turns to Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth. And he says, Ziba, he said, here's what you're going to do. All this land that I'm restoring to Mephibosheth, you are going to be the overseer of it. You're going to till it. You're going to bring in the fruits. And Ziba had a large family. So you and your family are going to eat from the fruit of this land as you bring the resources into Mephibosheth. But he says in verse 11, but Mephibosheth shall eat at my table as one of my sons, as a king's son. So what an amazing, what, what kind of beauty was in the soul of David? What kind of, Saul is his adversary. Jonathan is his friend. 
And yet King David is like, I'm going to be committed to the next generation. I'm going to be committed to this young generation. He, there, it, there has been sorrow in his life, but it is in my power to do him good. And so I will do him good. I will do his servant good. I will do it all good. And Mephibosheth's status is elevated without a question because the word of the king has spoken it. And the command of the king was known to all. And it seemed like fully Mephibosheth was act, was truly acting out what his name meant, shame destroyer. But commitments are always tested. You know, forgiveness is just a concept till somebody offends you, right? And then the, you see what, how far the concept goes. Commitments are always tested. And after a season, those who were loyal to King David... And those that had grouped around King David were persecuted. It cost something to be allied with King David at one point. An insurrection was brewing in the kingdom that was dividing the kingdom. And David, who had only blessed, gave, restored, and elevated this young man, Mephibosheth, was deserted by this young man at a key time in his life. Oh, Mephibosheth had his reasons, but nothing that really stands up to scrutiny. Mephibosheth was missing from David's side. He's missing from David's cause at a crucial time. And the, the, the interesting thing is that David's ability to be able to commit to an underdog, to be able to look around and see who needs his protection, who needs something in their life to elevate them, that did not go unnoticed by Mephibosheth's servant, Ziba. And I think it truly spoke to the servant, Ziba, because that David could commit to a family, to a spiritual family, even, even to a servant, Ziba got up and he actually followed David into the wilderness with the band, the army that were loyal to David, committed to David. When David need them, when this great king for a season was opposed, when this great king for a season had forces coming against him, many rose up with David, went into the wilderness. For a season, the trials, the pressures, and the tribulations came to those that were following King David. But in the end, you know the story, King David prevails. His followers, his army returns to their rightful place. They have won the contest. They have won the battle. And they're crossing a river to return back to Jerusalem. And they are rejoicing. The spoils of war is that they're in their hands. They are, justice has been returned. And this is a great moment for this group of people. Interestingly enough, Mephibosheth is awaiting at the river's edge for David's return. And Mephibosheth, there's a very interesting uh, description of him. And that's found in 2 Samuel um, I'll read it to you, 1924. It says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, interesting, he's now identified as his grandfather, not his father, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. 
Now, this is an interesting to me description of this young man. Mephibosheth seems to have abandoned all self-care, all effort. It's like this passivity has gripped him. It's like something has overtaken him. It's like he has been just sat there and, and uses it as a badge to say, listen, David, I care for you. I, I care for you. Look, look, look at me. Obviously, we've both suffered. It's true. You know, when we look at it, we see, wow, here's a guy who never aligned himself to your cause, David, never roused himself, never inconvenienced himself, didn't do much. But it seems like because he's there at River's Edge looking like a wreck, it seems he thinks it's saying, I'm with you, man. I know it's been a rough go. I've been suffering too. David says in verse 25, he says, why did you not come with me, Mephibosheth? Why did you not come with me? And he, he answers, and he, 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 I mean, it's ridiculous what he says. He says, well, like, you know, I was deceived. You know the servant? You know, you know that guy by your side? That one that went with you? Well, he, he took, he rode off on a donkey, and I'm lame. It's like, what? This is a one donkey kingdom? He took the donkey and left. And he joined you. You know, it's so interesting to me because he's standing before this king. And the first thing he says is, you know, I couldn't join you because I'm lame, you know. I'm lame. And it's like, I could see, thank you very much. I could see that, you know, David would be looking at him and he said, what about, what about when I declared you to the kingdom that you were my son? What about when I offered you fellowship at my table? What about when I gave you a place of honor and the pleasure of my company? What about when you sat under that table and your feet are covered by what I have prepared for you and you are denying, in a sense, by sitting at my table with your feet covered, that your call and your purpose, that you are to be known as a shame destroyer, has come to nothing. Where were you, Mephibosheth? Does this mean nothing to you? And beloved, I, I just pray, you know, when we read this story, King Jesus is King David. If we will look into the story every time we read how King David worked with Mephibosheth, we can hear the heart of King Jesus for his people. We can hear that we, oh God, let our hearts burn to just realizing as poor as, and as needy as I am, <clears throat> how committed you are to me. That it brings you pleasure to seek me out to find me, to want to restore to me all that sin had robbed me of, that you wanted to restore to me what you said could be mine because I am the, your child. Because, beloved, it just shows up today that people are, act so shabby and self-serving in relationships because it's a refusal, first of all, to, root, to understand God's commitment to us and it translates in how we commit to one another. 
When we can say, beloved Lord, I want you to open my eyes to see how much you are committed to me. When I understand that you long to show kindness to me. You long to show kindness to your people. You show your mercy to us on a daily basis. You freely forgive us. You freely invite us to a place of honor as your family. My heart, the Lord is saying, is moved to you because I loved you first. Even when you were lame, even when I was so not even mindful of him, even when I, I was, there was a time I, my life did not bring him honor. He, he loved me first. And he was looking to bring to an open door that he could bless me, that he could forgive my sin, that he could restore me. The scripture says, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose transgression is covered. Blessed is that person who all of a sudden knows the loving kindness of a God in heaven who longs to bring us into his family like a good, good father. Blessed is that man and woman who understands the God of this universe created us and he created us for friendship and fellowship. He created us that he could live inside us. He created us that he could destroy the old nature that sin had, had developed in us where we can't commit, where we are so selfish, where we only live for ourselves and left to ourselves, we will make ourselves sick. We will ignore self-care. We can entertain ourselves on the internet till we grow looking so shabby and so abused. And... The Lord is saying, I want to heal you, just like I want to cover, I want to heal, I want to the death and the damage that sin brings in your relationships, in your self-esteem, in your outlook. I am committed to you. You know, so many times when people think I'm afraid to be committed because what if somebody better comes along? You know, this is so anti-God thinking. God doesn't look at us and go, I think I'll save you till actually somebody a little more golden shows up and then I'll just drop you back into hell where you belong. He doesn't do that. That's not how he sees us and that's not how he operates. And when we're born again, we get a new way of looking at each other and a new ability to com commit. Sometimes people go, I, you know, I don't want to know if I commit because, hey, what if I invest in you and all of a sudden you disappoint me? What if I'm bored with you? What if, you know, things change? And beloved, the Lord says, don't worry, I invest in you. I give you gifts and I give you talents. You don't even know we're there. It takes my life in you to bring them forth. You will start one way, but you will not end up looking like that when I'm finished with you. I will invest in you. And when you come to me in salvation, I will give you gifts and talents that are supernaturally given by the Holy Spirit, things that you did not possess in me, you will possess. You will not just have eternal life. You will not just have a forgiven life. I will make you creative. I will make you a joy on the earth. I will make you a blessing on the earth because you belong to me because I'm that good and I can give out gifts that freely. I want to heal you. I want to set you at my table. I want to set you at a table in the presence of your enemies where greed and fear and doubt and unbelief have to pass the peas to you and serve you at that 
table, knowing that I have the ability to come to the very depths of your nature and change it. I can break up the foundations of fear and I can give you a hope and a future because it's in me. Because we understand in Christ, the best is yet to come. Amen. He gives us the ability to commit to each other, which is at the end of the day satisfying, and we can commit his way according to his plan, according to the God plan. We can commit one to another. We can commit in marriage. We can commit in the ways that are satisfying, in the ways that bring life. We can commit to him. Was Mephibosheth afraid that he couldn't commit? Where was this guy's head? Why, when it came time, to show up. Why when it came time to ally himself with King David. To fight the good fight. Did this guy go AWOL? Did he go missing? I don't know because it was evident to me. That the way that King David dealt with him was. When you were at your weakest and what you felt. Maybe your most unloveliness. I look upon you and I don't stop loving you. Which brings me, beloved, to Romans chapter 5, 3 to 5. I want to show you what I think is the most loving expression of what commitment looks like in the life of a believer. When Jesus commits to us and ultimately so changes us and heals us, that commitment becomes a sacred thing to us. The commitment to each other to the relationships we're supposed to be committed to, to those that can depend on us, as our heart expands and we can actually show blessing and favor to people, to the underdogs, to the people that need it. You see, when, when this happens in our life, God gets so much glory. People are getting more narrow. People are getting more unable to love. The love of many is growing so cold. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And the church will shine the brightest because we will have another spirit. We will be able to love. We will be able to reach out. We will be able to give, extend a helping hand and not withdraw it. We will be given the ability to commit. We will be so unlike those around us who will have another spirit. And people will be so hungry for the spirit we do have. The Holy Spirit in us and the life of Christ in us. But can I just show you what Christ is doing for us at this moment? We who have believed in Christ, we who have trusted him for our salvation, we who have judged him to be King David and more to us, this is what happens in Romans 5. I'm going to start halfway in Romans 5, verse 3. Just one moment. Thank you. Romans 5 verse 3. It says halfway in. Knowing that tribulation works patience. And patience experience. That's the King James. But if you go to almost any translation. They exchange that word experience for character. Let me reread that. Knowing that tribulation works patience. And patience character. And character hope. You know, beloved, the Lord is so committed to us that he is going to walk with us through our tribulations, even to the point 
where we can actually glory in tribulations because we're coming to an understanding, Lord, this old nature that I was born with, this is the one that you are committed to destroying in me that it may not have dominion in me. And when your holy life comes into my life because I've asked you to come in and to forgive me, when you dwell there, there is going to be this season that comes into everyone's life, but we are guaranteed as Christians, we are going to know the tribulations, the stresses, the pains, the the struggle as we are learning a new life and a new lifestyle. And some of these tribulations are going to come because sometimes we're going to go, Lord, I get disappointed in myself. Or Lord, this is very hard what I feel you're asking. Lord, I don't have the ability in me to forgive or to let go of things. I don't have it. It seems to walk with me and stalk me. But the Lord says, don't worry, don't worry. You see, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. And you're going to learn not to look at your one constant big failure You're going to say, Lord, you are using these stresses, these problems, these situations that I can have an exchange life. That you who lives in me, I can exchange it at this moment. I can say, Lord, you live in me and you're greater than my selfishness. You're greater in my not caring. You're greater in what my addiction. You're greater than that. And you are going to be long suffering and you're going to bear with me through this tribulation. And I'm going to learn to glory in it. This is not a bad thing, but this is how the Lord empties me of me that he can fill me with him. This is how he's going to get glory. And I'm not going to back away from the process because I'm not going to get halfway through it. And then God's going to change his mind. No, you're just a little bit too messy. You're just a little bit too broken. You're just a little bit too slow to learn. No, our God doesn't do that. He's committed to us. And he says this tribulation is going to work patience. You know, beloved, how important it is that we learn patience. Because when we come to God, it's on his timetable and it's his way. Sometimes we think, you know, I've had enough. I think this is time for it to end. And God says, no, you've got to learn to trust me because I love you best. And I know the most. I know what I'm doing. I'm not playing with your life. I'm not fooling with you. I can see the beginning from the end. I know what I intend to do with you. I know how to bring forth those gifts and those talents. I know what I'm doing. I will not waste a life that is given to me. I know what I'm doing. And so we learn this patience and we learn to wait upon the Lord. Wait upon him. That means we're waiting on his time and his way. And there is so much strength when we can go, Lord, I just yielded to you. I I think I've crossed the line, but obviously, Lord, I just give it into your hands one more time. I tell you, he brings revelation with that and he's forming us. So with tribulation, it works patience. And we're so God exalting in our nature when we are waiting on God and we don't, we are learning to be patient. And then it says, and patience character. Beloved, this is what the whole thing is about, is God is changing our character. It's a nature change that he is about. And when that nature changes, sometimes some areas change quicker than others. But as the Lord is committed to our nature change, we begin to be filled with hope. And we become a people that hope does not make us ashamed. We're not We become so confident in who Christ is and who Jesus is. 
We be filled with hope. We become filled with hope. And I'm telling you, that is going to be such a huge contrast in this world. So the Lord is committed to us at the end being filled with hope. A people that become irrepressible because it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside or around us. For some reason, we know the Lord's committed to us till he brings us through to this place where our character actually brings forth hope and irrepressible hope. I'm telling you, hope serves us well in a prayer meeting. Hope serves us well in a prayer meeting. Hope serves us well when we walk among our families. Hope serves us well when it grows darker and darker outside. And yet we return and we just say, Jesus, you are real and you are committed to me. I'm not going to shortcut. I'm not going to shortcut what you're doing in my life. And then, beloved, it says after the hope, it says because and hope makes not ashamed Why is hope never ashamed? Because at the same time, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And so hope doesn't come alone. But the love of God is shed into our hearts at the same time. Oh, it's so worth it. God knows what he's doing. He's so committed to this progression in our life that you and I can be filled with hope and love. Love for him and love for one another. We are going to be filled with a supernatural kind of love that people go, whoa, 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 who are you and where do you come from and how did you get that? That's amazing. Beloved, God is no respecter of persons. He does not play favorites. He is committed to us, to doing this in us. And I'm telling you, love is supernatural. Hope is supernatural. And people are going to go, this is amazing what you have got. And I just want to say sometimes, you know, we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And we think that, you know, hey, everybody in kindergarten, Sunday school should know that Jesus loves you. But it's interesting, isn't it? That according to Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, that the love of Christ is the last thing to grip our hearts and break through. For some reason, really believing that God loves us is the hardest thing to do. It seems it's the most supernatural work that has to take place in our heart. Is truly believing that through it all, no matter as I am learning, through my tribulations, through my lack of patience, and through my character building, that he loves me. But beloved, we will grow more steady in this conviction, more useful, more flowering. And it's going to be for the benefit of others. Oh, hang on, beloved. Because at the end, our ability to have right relationships, bountiful relationships, beautiful relationships will spring from the work that God is doing in us because he's committed to us. Because he's committed to us. I don't know where you find yourself on this spectrum right now, according to Romans 5, 3 to 5. I don't know. I have sometimes some days where I am on this spectrum and I get a little bit discouraged. But then I realize, thank you, Lord, you're committed to me. I hope Mephibosheth had a great breakthrough. I hope he did. You know, I work with young people and I am completely committed that God is going to break through in this generation. I'm convinced he's going, our time is short, and he's going to break through into this generation that seem so bound and so hard for, to commit. 
that I believe because God is merciful and God is good and God loves us, that he's going to break through as never before into this generation because he saves the best wine for last. Because sometimes they have had so little understanding or what is influencing them, what they're feeding into their spirit is so separating them and so isolating them from normal, healthy human contacts. And they're being formed by another spirit of this age. And I know when the enemy just steps too much into the fields of the fatherless of these young people, I know our father's going to show up. I know he will be their defender. And I know God is raising us up to commit to them and believe with them and to stand with them and to speak life to them because they're going to be a mighty thing when they rise and they are rising. But so are we because I'm not talking a generational thing. I'm talking about how good God is, but I say we let us have breakthrough and how much we are loved by God and how much hope is possible if we don't give up. Let's not give up. Most of Christianity is just showing up. You know, last night I did not have a message. I'm going, I can't believe it. Here I am. It's a commitment series and I have nothing to say. I don't have a word. I'm driving here from Pennsylvania. It's like, there's a lot of things you could say about commitment, but all of it sounded in my head like blah, 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 blah. Like it just didn't mean anything. But then the Lord said, Mephibosheth. And I knew what he meant. And I knew what he was going to do. And he's going to break that fear of commitment and the lack of understanding of commitment. He's going to be faithful to us if we will commit to him. He's worthy of it. Let's ask him to do something in our hearts. Will you stand with me? Hallelujah. 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 I'm just going to ask us just... The Lord has been speaking to us and, and it's in this area of commitment. And I'm just going to ask him and those that want to come and say, Lord, you know, there has been, I've, I've had a lot of fear around these issues. You know what? I have done commitment badly in my life. I have been emotionally unavailable to people. I have been emotionally, I have been backed up. I don't know really what it means. I'm afraid of what it means. And I feel like the Lord is saying, that's all right. I'm committed to you and I will change your nature. I'm so committed to you. I'll walk with you till there's nature change. Because at the end of the day, that's the purpose of God's commitment to us. So that you can love a generation and you can have healthy relationships. So as the choir is singing, I'm just going to ask anyone that's stepping out and saying, God, I'm just thanking you. I'm believing you today. I'm stepping out and I'm believing you're going to touch me in vital areas where I need your healing, where I need restoration, where I'm believing you for breakthrough. I want you to take off of me any places, Lord, that I've, I have really been operating in a place of, of that's not healthy and it's taking its toll on me. And I'm believing, God, you're going to touch me and teach me these things because you're a good father and you are my brother and you're my savior. So as we're singing, please step out because I'm telling you, God is going to meet us in this place today. He is going to meet us and he's going to bring us breakthrough and a healthiness in our life that's going to be amazing. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. You're so willing to change us where we are very 
selfish in our relationships. Thank you for committing to us as long as it takes. Thank you for committing to us. Thank you for the hope that we will change. Thank you, Lord, for the hope and the promise that we can have healthy relationships. Thank you, ultimately, Lord. I want to commit back to you because yours is the best love I've ever encountered. Because yours is the most freeing love I've ever encountered. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You died. You died for us that we could have life. Thank you for that level of commitment and it'll never change. So I thank you, oh God, that is you are offering us the promise of change, of nature change, of growing healthy. Because Lord, we don't want the selfishness at the root anymore. Jesus, be the root, be the center and be the source in my heart and in my relationships. So we thank you. There's all kinds of hope today. Thank you, oh God. We're walking through this life with someone who has our back, and it's God himself. Thank you. We walk through this life with the hope of change. I'm not getting worse. I'm getting better in Jesus. Thank you. I have a hope and a future that's better than what I have now. Thank you, oh God, that I don't have to live unhealthy, not respecting myself, Lord, not having even an ability, oh God, to commit to anything healthy or good. Thank you. You're breaking up the foundations of selfishness and rootlessness. Thank you. You are going against what causes me to be unhealthy. Thank you. You understand, Lord, if I've been lame since I'm young, deserted since I'm young. Thank you. You know all about it. And thank you. You've come, oh God, not just to be a good, good father, but you've come to be my savior, redeemer, healer, my life, my source, my power, my sound mind, my full heart. Thank you. You've come to give me of your spirit fully that I may walk this earth being able to love people healthily and love myself and love you. What a future I have only in you, Jesus Christ. Send your spirit now upon your people, oh God. And we understand you've committed yourself for us walking through tribulation, patience, character, hope, love, life. We're changing because you're good. Thank you for being a good father. Thank you that tonight we know we're loved. That's how committed you are. We bless you and we receive it all. We don't just hear it, but we receive this word by the power of the Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen.